singing seems to be woven into the very fabric of what it means to be a human being. doesn't matter where you go in this world, you find every culture, every tribe, every people sing. God made each one of us in the image of God and we're all wired for worship. But it's not always easy to sing, is it? Some of us arrived here this morning with little or no desire to sing at all. Some of us arrived here this morning discouraged and downcast, frustrated or anxious. Work is hard. Marriage is hard. Parenting is hard. Singleness is hard. Life is hard. Plans altered, hopes deferred, unanswered prayer. Some of us have cried more tears this week than sung songs of praise. Some of us look around and we see injustice in the world. We see rampant oppression. We see the wicked prospering. We see the nations raging. We see Christians being taunted. Christians being mocked, Christians being threatened, Christians even being killed all the day long, even like sheep to the slaughter. What about the believers this morning gathering outside Kabul in Afghanistan this morning? Are they supposed to sing when the Taliban is approaching? If you find it hard to sing this morning, I want you to know that this message is for you. This is a message for the songless Christian. This is a message, a psalm written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for you. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm 47. Psalm 47. The Lord has abundantly provided a song for the songless Christian in the book of Psalms. One of my favorite writers, a man named Thomas Watson, he said this about the Psalms. He said that the scriptures are a spiritual paradise and the book of Psalms is placed as the tree of life in the midst of this paradise. And I hope you find that to be true this morning. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 47. If you're not used to looking at a Bible or reading a Bible, you can find this on page, I believe, 472 in the pew Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible with you when you leave as a gift from us to you. We want you to have a a Bible that you can read and understand for yourself. Psalm 47 is located in a series of Psalms, and I want you to just think about the context of it. The Psalms, this section of the Psalms begin in Psalms 42 and Psalm 43. And what do we find there? The psalmist feels forgotten. He's discouraged. He's downcast. He's distraught. And then in Psalm 44, the psalmist feels hopeless in light of the fact that God's people are being oppressed and persecuted and even killed. They're being put to death all the day long like sheep to the slaughter. But then in Psalm 45, the psalmist begins to fix his eyes, the eyes of faith on God's king, the Messiah, the one who reigns forever. 
And he begins to consider the Messiah's love for his people like that of a husband and a wife. And then in Psalm 46, the psalmist is encouraged to look at the sovereignty and the, 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 the overarching providence of God that stretches over all of creation, all of nature. And then we arrive at Psalm 47 and the psalmist remembers God's promise to bless the whole world. And that's the psalm that we're looking at this morning. In Psalm 47, the Lord calls the whole world to sing to the king. In one sentence, that's what this psalm is about. In Psalm 47, the Lord summons the whole world to sing to the king. In Psalm 46, verse 10, God said, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's what the Lord said in Psalm 46. And Psalm 47 is like the exclamation point. We see the nations exalting and praising and singing glory to our God in Psalm 47. So let's listen now to God's word. To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with songs of joy, loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the most high, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I want to make three observations and three brief applications from Psalm 47. And my prayer is that the songless Christian will find this psalm to be a tree of life. And my prayer is that the Lord will put a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God, and that many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Number one, first observation, first of three observations. Observation number one, the whole world may sing to the king. The whole world may sing to the king. In Psalm 47, the Lord invites the whole world to sing to the king. Look again at verses one and two. Who is he inviting to sing? Who is he inviting to worship? Look again. Clap your hands, and now say with me, all peoples. You see that? 
Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Verse two, for the Lord, the most high is to be feared. A great king notice over all the earth. Psalm 47 isn't simply inviting the people of Israel to praise and adore and worship the Lord. This invitation to join the Lord's choir, as it were, it goes to all peoples. You see that verse one, because he's the great king over all the earth. This is an expansive invitation. So in your Bible, if it says the word peoples, plural, we don't always say the word people. When we say people, there are lots of people. We, we just think of a mass of individual human beings. But when the Bible uses the word peoples, plural, it's a word that refers, it's synonymous with nations, tribes, languages, peoples, tongues. In other words, it's talking about the whole world. All peoples means all nations, all tribes, all people groups, all ethnic people groups. Now, I've been married to my wife, Allison, for almost 19 years now. And I can remember during our engagement, we made a list of the people that we wanted to invite to our wedding. And, uh, well, we didn't actually do it. Allison told me about it, right? Um, uh, after you propose, you basically just say yes, ma'am, and just support and encourage and, and uh yeah, so I'm just going to move on. Um, it seemed like we were inviting a lot of people. Now, we, there were a lot of invitations. There were a lot of stamping. There was a lot of licking the envelopes, all that jazz, right? And I thought we were inviting a lot of people to our wedding. But you'll notice in this psalm, the invitation to join God's choir goes to the whole world. <laughs> Everyone is invited. The, all nations, all peoples, including you. There's no tryout to be on the choir. There's no audition to be in the choir. There's no previous experience required. He doesn't say, can you carry a note? Or do you have rhythm? He just says, clap, shout, sing. The whole world. Now, this ought to astound us. You might be thinking, big deal, Nick. It says all peoples. Let's move on to the next point. But you should be astounded by this. How did the book of Psalms begin? Psalm chapter two begins, tells us what are the nations doing? Are they singing? No. Psalm two says this. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples? There's that word. The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his Messiah. So the, the Psalms are very realistic. They, they, they are written with the knowledge that the whole world is in rebellion against God as king. The nations, the peoples are not singing. They're sinning. They're not worshiping. They're at war with God. That's how the Psalms begin. And we see from Genesis 3 onward that the nations are the enemies of the people of God. And yet this psalm is inviting the enemies to sing to the Lord, the God of Israel. We see even in places like the Tower of Babel, there's a constructed effort to thwart, to give praise to God. They want to make a name for themselves. And God, through his choice of Abram, it says, I'm going to bless 
him and I'm going to make his family a blessing to the whole world. And through Abraham and through his offspring, through the seed of Abraham, God's blessing that was lost in the fall will be restored to the whole world. And so we see over and over again in the Old Testament scriptures, God's purpose and plan to bless the world and to invite the world to worship him is tethered to the promises given to Abraham. So, for example, the descendants of Abraham, you know, his son, Jacob, you know, his son, Isaac. This is how Isaac prayed for his son, Jacob, when he was old. Listen to this prayer. This is Genesis 28 one. May God Almighty bless you, Jacob, and make you fruitful and multiply you so that, listen, what's the purpose? May God bless you and multiply you, Jacob, so that you may become a company, an assembly, a congregation, a community of peoples, plural, You ever thought about that? God's blessing was that Israel would be prosperous so that they might become a blessing to all the people so that there'd be a congregation, a company of peoples worshiping the God of Abraham. We see the promise given in in Genesis 49 about a king who's going to come through the line of Judah, who's going to reign over all the peoples. So, So what is all this teaching us? This psalm begins... By reminding us that God is worthy of all praise. He deserves a choir of seven billion people. And he's inviting the whole world to sing his praise. The whole world may sing to the king. That's the first observation. Second observation. The whole world must sing to the king. The whole world may sing to the king. It's an invitation. But it's not just an day, it's a command. The whole world must sing to the king. Look at verse four, look at verses one and verse six. The Lord commands the whole world to sing to the king. Verse one, clap, shout. Verse six, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. Do you see that? Those are all imperatives. Those are commands. These aren't suggestions. Now, God doesn't just give us these commands and move on. He wants to motivate the nations to obey this command, this injunction. So what he does is he gives us some reasons why motivations, why we ought to sing to this king. He wants us to see that the one he's calling us to praise, the Lord, is utterly praiseworthy. So here, briefly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I just want you to see it. There's at least five things in this psalm about the Lord that should motivate you and me to sing his praises. Number one, first, the Lord is a fearsome king. He's fearsome. Verse two, for the Lord, see that little word for, he's giving you the reason. For the Lord, the most high is to be feared. He's a great king over all the earth. So God is, sometimes you'll hear about someone and then you meet them and you're like, ah, they weren't that impressive, right? That's probably most of us in this room, right? Not that impressive. Like 
It's like, I've been waiting for this preacher to show me. He's not that impressive, actually, you know? Not that impressive. Most of us are unimpressive. But when you think about when God shows up, anytime he shows up in the Bible, people don't walk away thinking, eh, not that impressed. People usually either die or they hit the dirt because he's awe-inspiring. When the people of Israel at Mount Sinai, they told Moses, listen, after he revealed himself on Sinai, they said, listen, Moses, you go talk to him. We're not going to. How about you just go up there for us? We don't want to do that because he's fear. He's fearsome. Now, children, listen, there's a book I want you to ask your mom and dad about. It's called the it's, it's not the line of the witch in the wardrobe. I've mentioned that before. It's called the horse and his boy. It's written by C.S. Lewis. If you don't know that book, ask mommy and daddy about it. The horse and his boy. Okay. now in that book, this is what one of the characters says about Aslan, the king says this, quote, no one ever saw anything more beautiful or more terrible. And if you don't understand that, ask mommy, daddy what that means. The Lord, our God is a fearsome king. Number two, the Lord is a mighty king. Look at verse three. He's a mighty king. He subdued the peoples under us. Nations under our feet. So the psalmist is reflecting on how God led his people into the promised land and he defeated the occupiers of the promised land. All of those pagan nations who were there in the promised land when Joshua led the people in. And so he's a mighty king. He's a mighty king. Third, he's a loving king. Third reason, he's a loving king. Look at verse four. He chose our heritage for us. Your Bible may say our inheritance, the same word. The pride of Jacob, whom, notice, he loves. You see that? So the king, he isn't just mighty. He isn't just fearsome. He's also a king who loves his people. He's a loving king. He chose an inheritance, that is the promised land, for his people. And he tells us here that he loves them. If the Old Testament teaches anything about himself, the Lord teaches us this. He loves those who are unlovable. He loves those who are undeserving. If you wonder, like you see Israel and they sin and they mess up and they're constantly going astray. And you you read that and you think, what does that have to do with me? Well, it's a reminder. The Lord loves those who are unlovable. He loves those who are undeserving of his love. In fact, when when Moses is preaching to the people in Deuteronomy, he says he says this to them. He says, the Lord, your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples over the face of the earth. And then you think, well, why did he choose them? And he tells us. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. If you think about that, that's strange. Why did you love us, Lord? And you're waiting for him to give you a reason. Because we did this, because we didn't do that. 
No, he loves you because he loves you. He's a loving king and he deserves your praise. Fourth, the Lord is an exalted king. Look at verse five. You see that word? It says God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Imagine uh, in your mind a king, the, the trumpets are blaring and the king is ascending to his throne. That's the picture that's found here. This is a picture of a king being exalted. So if you look down in verse nine, look at verse nine. Do you see that phrase where it says he is highly exalted? So don't look at me, look at your Bibles. He is highly exalted. That's the same verb that's used there in verse five. So it's, it's like a royal coronation. Everyone is looking up at the ascended, exalted king. His is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. And he's exalted above all. That's another reason to sing his praise because he's so great. Fifthly, last one. Fifthly, verse seven and eight. The king is reigning. He's a reigning king. This isn't like a king who's kind of in exile. He has to try to get back to his country to get to his throne. He's reigning right now. Look at verses seven and eight. For, there's that word again. Why should you sing? For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns. There it is. God reigns over the, over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. So the Lord, he doesn't just reign over some small parcel of land in the Middle East. He reigns over all the earth. His royal scepter sways over the universe. Now, brothers and sisters, you can study each one of these attributes, each one of these aspects of God. You can scrutinize them. You can tease them out. You can try to trace the history of that doctrine. You can do all of that. But this psalm isn't calling you to simply study these things. These are truths that ought to fill your heart with joy and faith that lead you to sing. Some truths are worthy to be sung. You can go up to someone and say happy birthday, but it's different when you sing happy birthday, right? You can send a card, that's great, but when when a group of people sing, it means something. And that's what these truths about God are intended to communicate to us. If you ask someone, tell me about your wife and what's she like? Husbands, I imagine what comes out of your mouth, it's not just a a recitation of facts. Well, she was born in Louisiana uh, in 1978. She uh, has blonde hair. Uh, She's tall. You, you You don't just recite things, facts, right? As you begin to talk about your wife, I imagine you're freshly reminded of your love for her. In the same way, Psalm 47 is telling us things we already say we believe about the Lord, not simply to recite them and move on, but because the psalmist wants to cause us to stand amazed that this one who is mighty and reigning and loving, the one who is above all things, this one made you. He knows you. He is acquainted with all of your ways. 
He sustains you. He gives you life. He has forgiven you of all of your sins if you're in Christ. He loves you. And he invites you to sing his praise. We began our service with these words. Come thou almighty king. Help us thy name to sing. That's basically Psalm 47. Come thou almighty king. Help us thy name to sing. The whole world must sing to the king. That's observation number two. Observation number three. This one is shorter. Observation number three. The whole world will sing to the king. The whole world will sing to the king. This psalm, it's not just, it's not just an invitation. It's not just a command. The glory of this psalm is that it is a prophetic promise. That though the nations rage now, there will come a time when the nations will worship the Messiah, the Lord God of Israel. Look at verses 8 and 9. Notice God's kingship over the nations produces the worship of the nations. Look at verses 8 and 9. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Now look at verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather, notice this, as the people of the God of Abraham. Now, your Bible may say with. Some of your Bible may be using a different translation. The reason I think the ESV gets this right with the word as, not to get technical here, but it's Hebrew poetry. So the, the two little phrases are in parallelism. The nations, the people of the peoples gather, and it says the people of the God of Abraham. So the implication here, the implication here is that even those who are right now rebelling and, 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 and casting, casting aspersions against the Lord and against his Messiah, the princes, even those who are in authority, will one day gather as the worshiping people of God, as the people of the God of Abraham. In fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through him. Listen to one commentator. John Calvin put it this way. I thought this was beautiful. God himself will cause the beams of his grace to shine even to distant lands so that kings and nations may be united into the fellowship with the children of Abraham. And I just love in verse in verse eight that this happens because God is on his throne. And remember that passage we read at the beginning of our time when we talked about Revelation, the the vision of the end in Revelation. Where do we see this story conclude in Revelation chapter five in Revelation four and five? We have a vision of the throne of God. John sees a vision of the throne room of God. And what does he see in Revelation 5? He sees a lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the lamb who was slain, seated on the throne. And we read, 
For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Brothers and sisters, the reason we can trust this promise that the peoples, the nations will worship and sing to the king is because the blood of the lamb was shed to purchase their worship. The worship of the nations was bought by the blood of the lamb. He will receive the reward for his sufferings. And if you look around and you think, It doesn't look like the lamb is winning. Well, I remind you, brothers and sisters, most of us in this room are part of the nations. And you're worshiping the Messiah. And he's building his church. And brothers and sisters, this psalm reminds us that on the cross, Jesus Christ screamed in order that you might sing. He screamed so that the nations might sing. He was cursed in order that you might be blessed. He died in order that you might live. He was condemned in order that you might be accepted. I love Revelation chapter five. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ will receive the world's worship because it was promised by his father and it was purchased by his blood. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Babels, the Tower of Babels, dispersion shall be obliterated by the gathering arm of the great shepherd. Brothers and sisters, that's our hope in missions. That's our hope as a church. Every organization, every organization, every institution on this earth will fail eventually. Every empire will fail the only, the only institution under heaven that is promised to be here and to ultimately win is the humble group of nobodies, a bunch of forgiven sinners called the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, God's promises will come to pass. He's building his church The lamb will receive the reward of his sufferings. He will be exalted among the nations. And one day, all of his people will confess that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. That's what Psalm 47 holds out to us as our hope, as our prayer, as a glorious prophetic promise. So what are we supposed to do? How do we respond? Three brief applications for us before we close. How how do we respond? First, I want you to ponder. Psalm 47 is a summons to ponder. I want you to ponder this. The very group of people 
that this psalm calls to sing, the same book says this about each one of us. So we're supposed to sing, but what does the scripture say to us? None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Well, what about our, what about our mouths? What comes out of our mouths? The scripture says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under our lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and in their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That doesn't sound like singing. Before opening your mouth to sing to this king, you need to ponder this prayerfully. Your mouth must be closed. It must be shut. It must be silenced. It must be stopped. Before you sing, God's got to shut your mouth before he opens it again. What what shuts your mouth? The scripture says the law of God. His word tells us that we're unworthy to sing to him. That our mouths bear witness every day, multiple times a day, that we are sinners. That we have fallen short of the glory that God calls us to live for his namesake. But I want you to also ponder this. God shuts our mouths with his law, but then he opens them with his gospel. Just a few chapters later, at the end of the book of Romans, what do we read about? Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the fathers in order that the Gentiles, listen, might glorify God for his mercy. You see, the law of God shuts our mouths, condemns us as sinners because he says, be perfect. And none of us are perfect. We've all rebelled against God. But in his gospel of grace, he opens our mouths. And then we keep reading as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. The gospel opens the mouth of sinners and causes us to sing. Christian, you may not feel like singing this morning, but by his spirit, ponder what you deserve and ponder what your king has done for you. Ponder his glorious gospel that Christ came into the world, lived the life we were supposed to live, died in our place, rose again from the dead. He screamed in order that we might sing. Jonathan Edwards said this, in order to learn the new song, you must hear the melody of the voice of Christ in the gospel. Do you hear that melody this morning? Do you hear Christ's voice among his people? 
as our elder brother, as Hebrews 2 says, the one who is our pioneer, the one who's leading the worship of God's people. Even this moment, he's exalted at God's right hand. He is leading the praises of his people. Do you hear his voice of grace in the gospel? If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 47 summons you to recognize, to recognize your need for forgiveness and to open your hands and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ in the empty hands of faith as he's clothed in the garments of his gospel. We all deserve death and a Christless eternity. But in Christ, he has offered us life and forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus, if you want to talk to me, I'll be at the back door afterwards. I'd love to talk with you more about what it means to trust Christ. Christian, ponder these glorious realities. He drew you out of a pit of destruction. Out of the miry bog, he set your feet on a rock and your steps are now secure. And he put a new song in your mouth, a song of praise to our God. Second, pray. Ponder, number two, pray. Pray. Psalm 47 is a call to prayer. This is a missionary prayer. You see this passage about the peoples, the, the princes gathering? That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a summons to us to pray. To pray. When, think about it, when the Lord taught us to pray, I've said this before, before we're supposed to pray for our daily food, we're to pray, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. Isn't that amazing? Before you even get to give me food to eat today, the cry of the Christian is, make your name great in all the earth. And we pray that your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. That's a missionary prayer. Every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, you're praying for God to overthrow the kingdoms of this world and to establish the kingdom of his grace. And that's what Psalm 47 is pointing us to. And so you don't have to look at it this song. If you just read through the Psalms, I don't care what, what part of the Psalms you read. Pick a section of Psalms and I guarantee you, I guarantee you this. You cannot read very far without being confronted with promises that the nations, the whole world, all, every tribe and nation and tongue will worship the Lord and his Christ. Just two, two to point out really quickly. Psalm 80. These are two of my favorites. Psalm 86 verse nine says this, this beautiful promise. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Christian, take that promise and convert it into prayer. Take God's book and say, Lord, you said it. You promised it. Do it, Lord. Plead with God with his own handwriting. Show him his promises and plead his promises. 
Second promise, Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28. Remember, that psalm is the psalm Jesus confessed on the cross. Remember, my God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. He screamed on the cross. That psalm. How does the psalm end? Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Why? For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's not just in the Psalms. It's in the whole Bible. Two other applications. Well, uh, in terms of prayer. One, I use a little acronym. It's called I thumb, I-T-H-U-M-B. And if you pray that every day or at least part of it every day, it reminds you to pray for the world. So it's just an acronym. I is Israel, and that just means to pray for ethnic Jews that they would receive Christ, their Messiah. T is tribal peoples, tribal peoples across the world. So if you, if you don't know what tribals are, talk to me afterwards. H, Hindu. Pray for, pray for India. Pray for, pray for Hindu peoples. You, that's, this is kind of a stretch. It's unreligious. I just pray for those who don't believe in God. M, Muslim peoples. And B, Buddhist. You, you, if you pray some of those, take one day, pray for each one. I thumb, you pray for that six days a week, that will incorporate in your prayer life a vision for what God is doing in this area, because every, every one of those that I just mentioned are in Northern Virginia. They're probably in your neighborhood. So don't just think, oh, he's talking about pray for, yeah, you can get in the library. There's books, Operation World. There's, there's a bunch of resources to help you pray for the nations. But it all starts with taking promises and putting them into prayer. Okay, one more and I'm done. Praise. The whole point of this psalm is to praise. So Psalm 47 is a call to praise. So what would be the New Testament equivalent of this would be Colossians 3:16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So if if you are somebody who has a trouble after you leave here singing, take this with you. This is called a bulletin. You take the bulletin with you. If you notice in the bulletin, what do you find in the bulletin? Well, I, and I can't even flip one. Yeah, here we go. What is this? These, we, we have hymns or songs every week. You can take this and just take one hymn, one song in the bulletin and try to reflect on it. Use it for family worship. Sing it sometime throughout the week. Even if you're not a good singer. I'm not a good singer. You can make a joyful noise to the Lord, Right? Use, use the bulletin. If you, ha- if you don't have a hymnal, that's a great resource to have to be able to just remind yourself of the glorious truths. And let me encourage you with this closing thought. A friend of mine, Matt Merker, he wrote a, a book on corporate worship. And he, he said this. I thought this was really helpful. What does this mean for us as a church? What if you don't feel like singing? What are you supposed to do? Well, why don't you remind yourself what Colossians 3 says that when you sing, you're admonishing and teaching other people around you. That's what Colossians 3.16 says. And my marker writes this. When you join a church, you join the choir. You say, well, where's our choir? Well, the choir sits here. 
You join a church, you join the choir. And then he says, you become a steward for the spiritual vitality of the body. A stewardship you fulfill in part by opening your mouth in song. And listen to what he says. The church member enduring persecution from his earthly family needs to hear his spiritual brothers and sisters saying, Jesus, I, my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee. The Christian burdened by shame needs to hear us exalt my sin, not in part, but the whole has been nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O my soul. Our weary hearts long to hear the gospel reverberate around us in surround sound. Isn't that beautiful? So when you don't feel like singing, remind yourself of his promises. And then even if your feelings aren't there, by faith, walk the path of obedience. And by his spirit, your feelings will eventually get there. But as you do that, you're stirring up and witnessing to brothers around you and sisters around you that Christ is enough. We will, brothers and sisters, sing praises by faith now, even when it's hard, because there's a certain hope that one day we will sing before him by sight. Until that day, we remember that he rescued us He redeemed us and he has put a new song of praise in our mouths. And until that day, we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we pray that by your Spirit, you would cause us to delight in Christ this day. Help us to taste and see something of your mercy towards us. Help us to know in our hearts your deep and wide and boundless love that you have lavished upon us, that you've pledged to us, that you have given to us, and that one day when we see you, we will be made like the Lord and we shall be able to sing with no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. We'll be before your throne. And we'll know that everything you said was true. So Father, help us to consider your throne even as we close our time together. Help us to know that you're ruling and reigning and working all things together for our good and for your everlasting glory. We ask this in Jesus, our great Savior's sake. Amen.